Morning, everybody. Little boy in church asked his daddy, Daddy, what's it mean when the pastor looks at his watch? And the daddy said, not a thing. So I don't have a watch, but I do have a very cool app that uh, I am uh, trotting out here uh, today. And so hopefully that will help me and help you, too, as we uh, move into Daniel 7. It's been a great series. Do you agree? Oh, man. Daniel 11.32, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Huh? We've been hearing that every week. We have gone through a wonderful uh, time of uh, really just history over these last uh, uh, six weeks or so. Just been great learning that history of the Babylonian captivity and Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and Nebuchadnezzar. Aren't you glad people haven't chosen any of those biblical names to, to name their children? Because that would be hard. Uh, just the spelling of most of them. Nonetheless, now, now, right now, you know, somebody has named their kid Shadrach, and I'm going to hear about it at the end of the service. But... Um, we move into Daniel 7, and from here on out, it's prophetic. The, 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 the book ends with prophetic kind of literature, and not just prophetic lit- literature, but apocalyptic literature, right? Now, that's a 25-cent uh, word, apocalyptic, and we all sort of have a, an idea, I think, of what that means, but apocalyptic literature in the Bible is not unlike shock treatment. It just, it just gets right into your face, and it's a little unsettling. In fact, it's a lot unsettling, depending on what you're reading. And so you'll find it certainly in these chapters in Daniel, but you'll find some of it in Ezekiel. You'll find some in Isaiah. You'll find some in Jesus' words, especially in Matthew uh, chapter 24, 25. And you will certainly find it in the book of Revelation. And some of it is quite understandable. We've all seen and heard, you know, there will be earthquakes in various places. In fact, there was an earthquake uh, this morning at about 7 o'clock in East L.A., uh, 4.0, right around there. So I didn't feel anything out here. Uh, but uh, people have been talking about it. But earthquakes have been going on for s- some time anyway. Wars and rumors of wars, right? We get that. We get that. We can understand that. But then there's other parts of uh, the shock treatment that is very dramatic and symbolic and often unclear and mysterious and troubling and foreboding, but almost always triumphant at the end of whatever is uh, trying to be communicated. Now, here's something that I believe, and, uh, and you can 
take it or leave it, but I believe in every generation since Jesus, including the one that he was in, there were traces of what this apocalyptic literature uh, suggests, both in the Old Testament and certainly, uh, you know, 70 years or so, 100 years or so after, that's all there was, was uh, the Old Testament, but then the New Testament as well, so that in every generation it would not have been unreasonable for people to talk about, do you think that this is the generation where Jesus will return? And certainly it has been true in our generation. I came to the Lord uh, during a time called the Jesus Movement. It was a revival. It was a full-blown, bona fide revival in America, except I didn't know it. I was just like this guy that was playing nightclubs and, uh, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and all that kind of stuff was going on. And I came to the Lord, and I came uh, into a church, and I thought, oh, this is normal. This is the, I guess this is the way it is. Things are, things are it's just so full of joy and singing brand new songs every week and people coming to the Lord and being baptized and people being healed and just, this was just normative stuff for a few years uh, after I came to, and it was just wonderful. But I found out soon enough, eh, it's probably not normal. You can argue about, should it be normal? And I think there's a case to be made there, but at least... It was a time of revival, and it was wonderful. But I think every generation, every generation has enough of the fingerprints of the apocalyptic literature for people to arguably say, you know, it might be our generation. And most of you probably have had that thought about the generation that we're in right now. That's a good place for an amen. It could be. It really could be. There's just enough evidence and enough things going on where, where if the Lord returned, and by the way, if that sounds weird to your ears or you're kind of saying like I did when I first going to church, oh, geez, one of these guys thinks Jesus is coming back. <laughs> Let me just say, in Orthodox Christianity, that promise has been solid for 2,000 years. The church has always looked for the return of Jesus Christ. Read any of the creeds, the Apostles' Creed that I grew up with in the Catholic Church, and it's right in there. From there he, will, he, from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And so I think that apocalyptic... Uh, Literature is important, but I believe the point of apocalyptic literature, the point of apocalyptic literature is this, that God is on the throne and that the future remains secure in his hands. And I think we could put that probably, Sean, up if we, yeah. God is on the throne and the future remains secure in his hands. That's why that literature is in the Bible. Now, Again, I will refer you to the fact that often it's unclear and there's things that, that are said and you're saying, what in the world 
could that mean? But there are enough things in there that, that are clear enough and that we can look at and maybe arrive at some kind of conclusion. But smarter men and wiser men and better men than me have been able to explain in detail what we're about to read. So I will exempt myself from the minutia and the detail of all of it. And I will not take that deep dive here, but what I will try to do is to draw some lines from what we're about to read right now to some things that might make more sense to us in our generation and where we are right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's what we'll, we'll try to do. So let's, let's pretend that uh, we're William Shatner from a, a few weeks ago, and we'll go up in a rocket ship, and we'll look down and see the big picture and not try to discern exactly what's going on in the details of what's going on. Does that illustration work for you? Yeah, okay. So that's so here we are with the Star Trek guy, right? Is that, is that, was that, I was never like a science fiction dude, I, but I pretended to be when I was younger because all my friends were, and so, oh yeah, that's cool. I'm going, oh God, I hate this. Anyway, <laughs> now, now, I've, <laughs> now I have divorced myself from half of you out there who are just Star Wars freaks and, and, uh, and like that. No, it's okay. I think, I think there's great symbolism in much of, that, of uh, that stuff. And of course, my good friend here loves uh, Lord of the Rings, and I can warm up to that a lot easier, actually. So I'm... Yeah. Unfortunately, Kelly, there's no Lord of the Rings stuff uh, in my sermon, so you'll have to help us next week. Oh, everybody go, ah, oh. maybe. Maybe we'll see something that I hadn't seen so far. But I'm going to begin to read, and I'm going to ask uh, Tim uh, to help me uh, do about 28 verses with you right here, okay? So, Tim, if you would, if you would begin to help me. I will begin to read chapter 7 in the book of Daniel. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. And I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man. And the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. And after that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back 
It had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. Terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little horn, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And this horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. And in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, and all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. And I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all of this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed, crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. And I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. 
until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. And the ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. And after them, another king will rise, different from the earlier ones, and he will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. And the saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and a half time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. And then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven, heaven will be handed over to the saints. The people of the Most High, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Okay. Wow. Wow. I mean, I've read that about ten times this week, and it... it it is a pretty startling passage of Scripture. Let's talk, uh, let's talk about the beasts first very quickly, because right out of the gate, that's what he begins to refer to. So the lion with the eagle's wings, the first beast there, most scholars, and by the way, let me tell you, I made reference to, to many. So much has been written about all of this, so many in my opinion, unfounded conclusions have been arrived at about some of this and certainly in the book of Revelation. So I'm giving you the best stuff I got. And uh, I think my, my greatest issue with apocalyptic literature and people who comment on it or write books about it is that most of it is speculation because it's very difficult to arrive hard and fast at places, but there are places that are clearer than others, and so most scholarship would say that that lion with the eagle's wings represented Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, the very time that Daniel was in, and uh, that part of geography for us would be present-day Iraq, and that symbol of the lion with eagle's wings can be found, by the way, on many gates in that particular uh, part of the world. And so there's, again, kind of the fingerprints of, of God helping to give us clues about all of this. The bear, which was the second beast, represented the Medo-Persian Empire, which would have existed in modern-day Iran. And so there were two... Uh, there were two... Uh, how would you say... They were, they were sort of linked because geographically they were there, but one was a little more powerful than the other, and that would have been the Persian Empire. And uh, they, according to what Daniel tells us here, uh, they had a voracious appetite, a voracious appetite for 
conquering. The third one, which was the leopard, many people believe was Alexander the Great. If you remember uh, his empire, as you studied in uh, uh, probably high school, uh, you will remember that uh, this guy was a wrecking machine and uh, destroyed the Medo-Persian Empire, by the way, and by age 32, he controlled Greece, Egypt, Persia, and further east to the, to the borders of uh, India. The, the story goes, some of you may have heard it, that, that he laid down and wept at age 32 because there, was, there were no more kingdoms to conquer. He was, he, this was part of who he was, and at age 32, he thought, I've done it all, and uh, there was no satisfaction there for him at all. He wanted more, and at least in the known world at that time, he had. He did a pretty good job of rolling over uh, everybody. That fourth beast uh, is still, uh, I believe, to come. We may have seen little um, shadows of it over the years, but there's nobody that's really come down, at least that I trust, and said, this is who that is. But it's uh, certainly, certainly would appear that perhaps it would be uh, from the West and uh, certain, certain kingdoms, uh, certain countries coming together and like that. And there have been all kinds of, of theories about some people. I remember when I came to the Lord, the, the latest interpretation of that was that there was a computer in Belgium that was the beast. How many remember hearing that at least once in your life? Okay. And that was when, you know, like, there were like three computers on earth. <laughs> so I guess that one went right off the cliff, didn't it? But, um, but at any rate, and maybe, who knows, maybe it'll be a new computer, maybe it'll be in Belgium, and I'll be uh, uh, completely uh, proven wrong. But there have been lots of uh, guesses and misses regarding this fourth beast. And then the little horn, right, who appears to be, uh, from everything that we can see, and as we look at uh, New Testament uh, literature, uh, the Antichrist, and you can find out lots about him in the book of Revelation. And by the way, let me just say, if this piques your interest in any of this, I'd be glad to recommend some, some reading for you in that regard, because there is much more, much more to say about all of this that you could read, and and I think justifiably come to some conclusions about certain details here but that is not my that is not my purpose second thessalonians chapter 2 uh, 1 through 12 we have paul saying something i think very important that uh, that alludes to this person this little horn this person that we're i'm identifying here as um, as the Antichrist, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Paul was writing to the Thessalonians because some people had said, sorry, guys, you missed it. He came and, uh, and uh, you know, this was... 
these were false teachers, basically. And so Paul is addressing that uh, to the church in Thessalonica. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. And now he's alluding to this person that we're identifying as the Antichrist. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Parenthetically, most believe that the one who is holding it back is the presence of the Holy Spirit on the earth. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. A little bit of the good news and the bad news in there, isn't there? But that's the, I think, sort of blatant upfront way of me saying to you today and reminding you that there is a devil. There is a Satan. Almost more offensive to the culture that we live in now more offensive even than mentioning the name of Jesus Christ is to allude to the fact that a devil actually exists, that a personage called Satan exists. But let me make no mistake about that here today. He does, and he wants to kill and steal and destroy. He wants to eat you for breakfast every morning of your life. He wants to allow there to be suffering and persecution and injustice and martyrdom. And all those things have been going on since the book of Acts, by the way, by his influence. And more now, I believe, than ever before. Do some research on martyrdom over the last hundred years in the world and, and you'll find out that there have been more in this last hundred years than there have ever been, ever. It's just that we here in the West don't experience it much. We hear the stories, certainly, but rest assured, that's going on and has been going on for a long time. Alistair Begg uh, had a wonderful passage in his commentary on this, and I want to just read it to you because I think it's so poignant for the days that we live in. He says this about the West. He says, for a few hundred years in the West, and I, I would say in America in particular, we have been able to kid ourselves that the normal experience of God's people is to be considered respectable and honorable 
to be able to voice our views in the public square and to be welcomed and to be able to speak to those in power and to be listened to. It was, ne it was not ever thus, and it is no longer thus. We are back to the normal experience of the church, facing opposition and being called to stand firm and undergo suffering for our faith. That doesn't sound like good news either, does it? Doesn't sound very hopeful. Well, listen, that is not making the case not to be a good citizen in America. Some of you who are younger are thinking in your minds. I know you do this, and it would be only natural. Well, I don't know why all these older people are getting, you know, so worked up about, you know, what's going on. It seems pretty good. There's not that much really bad going on. You, you haven't lived long enough, and you weren't around. But the America that you live in right now doesn't even resemble hardly a little bit of the America that most of us grew up in. And so it startles us a little bit. And we get a little nervous about all of it. So I'm not saying to you today that I'm, that I'm giving up on voting or that I might not sign a petition or even go to a demonstration. I probably will. I've done uh, some of those things because I have convictions about what's going on in the country that I live in and, frankly, the country that I love, at least as I remember it. But I'm not putting my hopes in that basket. And that's what I'm talking about here. And I think that's uh, what Alistair Begg is saying. America may resurrect. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think it will. And if it does, it'll be a long time. It'll be long after I'm gone. We are so far down the road. And we have turned our backs so blatantly. And our system only works when you have people who are informed by a biblical ethic. And hardly anybody believes that anymore that are in power. So that's where we are. Does that mean that, you know, we're going to walk around with doom and gloom? No, no, no. It just means that we're going to remember where our citizenship is. And it means that we're going to participate where we can participate. And we're going to do what we need to do. But we are not going to allow the political to usurp the spiritual. The Ancient of Days shows up. Did you, did you notice? The Ancient of Days shows up there, sets up the court, and then the Son of Man enters as well. We all know who he is. That's the name that Jesus referred to himself more than any other name, the Son of Man identifying uh, his humanity, I believe, to, uh, to the world and to the world that he was touching at that time. So what is Daniel being shown at that particular point? What's he being shown? First thing he's being shown is he's not alone. 
He's he's 80 years old, 80 plus years old probably about the time that he gets this. So he's lived a little bit. He's seen a lot, but he's it's God's way, I believe, in helping him to know that he's not alone. He may be elderly, he may be in godless Babylon, but he takes his place before the Ancient of Days among the 10,000 times 10,000, and friends, so do you. So do you. You are not alone, and you will not ever be alone, because you are in that throng of people. And number two, the other thing that he's being shown is that the kingdoms of man start to crumble as the court sits in judgment, and hatred and evil and injustice face the ultimate reckoning. Kingdoms and philosophies may linger, but they will not last. Folks, I, you know, I watch the news just like you do. I'm pretty much on top of all of what's going on. And it is so convincing when you begin to hear people say the most ridiculous things that you've ever heard in your life on almost every subject with such authority and declaring those things to be as true as gravity. And you shake your head and you wonder, what, what, what's going on here? What's go- People believe this stuff. But the kingdoms of man will crumble one day as the court sits in judgment. And those philosophies that perhaps will linger for generations will begin to just collapse. And so that's why staying pretty close to the Word of God is what you want to do. Because we live in an age of incredible confusion. Incredible confusion. And so... What is going to keep the compass pointing to the north is the Word of God and the Spirit of God and hearts that are open to that. I want to just end our time from Romans chapter Eight, as we look at all of these things, and, and there does seem to be more than uh, a suggestion, my friends, that life may get harder and society may get unfriendlier and obedience to the Lord certainly more costly, huh? Just, you know, things that, that just weren't a big deal before all of a sudden are becoming a great big deal. The ongoing theme of Daniel 7 is that the church, God's people, will receive the kingdom and possess it forever and ever. There is triumph. There is victory at the end of the day. But the war is not over. We're in it, and it has to be fought. And so... There will be casualties along the way, and there will be things where we'll be shaking our head even more than we're shaking our head right now. But listen to Romans chapter 8, 
What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who, then, is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In this world, you will have tribulation, said Jesus. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Kelly. Kelly.